Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. I've got a national treasure on the podcast today, a great friend of mine, Alice Roberts. I went to China with her. We made a program about the Terracotta Warriors. She did some amazing science, like actual science on some skeletons in Terracotta Warriors as I was running around just enthusing about them. That's the difference, folks, between expert and enthusiast. Anyway, it's great to have the expert on the podcast today. 2021 was a bumpy year for archaeological discoveries across Britain. And in this episode, we've got a whistle-stop tour around some of the most notable finds because she is presenting a wonderful TV show at the moment. She is presenting Digging for Britain on BBC Two. She's got Kat Jarman, one of the History Hit team, as her co-presenter on there. So, you know... Our tentacles are extending into the mainstream media as well. Anyway, and Alice Roberts is talking about that amazing mosaic that everyone was commenting on last year on social media, the Rome mosaic that was found, and the puzzling ruin of a Norman church discovered by HS2 engineers. Alice Roberts was there. She talked to the archaeologist firsthand. She's going to come on the podcast now and let us know what it was like. Awesome to have her on. Great to have us back on. This year, we've also got some HS2-related archaeology coming up on History Hit TV, so if you like this kind of stuff, please check it out. We're looking at a graveyard, a graveyard that was sliced through by HS2, and we've got lots of interesting information about just how dark the Dark Ages were. Don't at me, folks. I know they're not called Dark Ages anymore, but just how dark the early Middle Ages were. Fifth century AD in Britain. Not bad, was it? What was it? Not as bad as people previously thought. You'll find out soon on History Hit TV. Fact. As ever, you can head over to the link in the description to this podcast. Just tap on it with your little thumb as you're listening now. Go on, look your phone up and tap on it. Begin your journey. You also get to come to the Antarctic with me, metaphorically. In the meantime, though, here's Alice Roberts. Enjoy. Alice, good to have you back on the podcast. Oh, it's lovely to be back, Dan. Thank you. I mean, if it's not talking about some best-selling smash hit book, it's a smash hit series with you. So never-ending. Oh. There's no end to your talents. Oh, I'm so excited about the new Digging for Britain series. Are you back in your happy place now? I am, I am. We were off air for a year in 2020 because there wasn't much going on in the way of university research archaeology. Other archaeology continued, all the pre-construction archaeology continued that year. But we had a year off and then we've come back this year and it's just superb and we've got fantastic six one hours on bbc2 absolutely packed full of amazing archaeology a history here we keep getting your like uh i probably shouldn't say this on the podcast but anyway we keep getting archaeologists go listen we've got this really interesting project if we can't get digging for britain you guys can come and film it i'm like thanks that's so kind so you know we just go around we're like the animals that feed in the wake of a giant 
you know. Behemoth. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And what have you got? So you're, it looks like quite a big spread this year, right? You're all over the place. Yeah, we've got a great spread up and down the country, north, south, east, west, and through the ages as well. So as is the tradition with Digging for Britain, what we do is divide it up regionally and then we just look at fantastic big archaeology stories in each of the areas of Britain. So the first programme is the East and that is featuring a mosaic that many people may have already heard about, which is this fantastic Roman mosaic from Rutland. That made global headlines when that was so cool when that was discovered. That was great, wasn't it? It is amazing. I mean, it's one of those archaeological discoveries where I'm looking at it going, I've never seen anything like this. I think this is absolutely fantastic. And then asking the experts, and we had the consummate mosaic expert on site, David Neal of Historic England, who has painted pretty much every Roman mosaic in Britain. And I was quite nervous about asking him what he thought of it and worried that he might say, oh, you know, well, it's just it's kind of pretty much a bog standard Roman mosaic. And he didn't at all. He said, well, this is the best thing I've seen in my career. I think this is a once in a hundred years find. So really, it is amazing. It's properly amazing. And what is the context? Why were they digging there? What's the deal? Ah, so this is a fantastic just chance find by the farmer's son. So Jim Irvin, who is an engineer, was staying on the family farm during lockdown in 2020 and had his kids there as well. And it's a a fantastic story of a whole series of events, a series of fortunate events that lead to his discovery of this incredible site. It's not just the mosaic, it's a bigger site around it. He was walking with his children. I think they'd walked down by the river that runs through the farm. They got chased by some angry bees and ended up going off in a different direction. On a little curve in the river, there'd been a little bit of flooding and he saw some bare earth and he saw bits of pottery sticking out of the bare earth that he just hadn't noticed on the farm before. And obviously this is a farm and he's very familiar with that landscape. He grew up in it and he'd never seen that kind of pottery before. So that got him thinking about history and the landscape. He went home that evening and had a look at Google Maps and they just uploaded the satellite images from, I think it was 2018 when we had a dry summer. It was 2017 or 2018 when we had that really, really dry summer where lots of crop marks turned up. And he suddenly saw on Google Maps a crop mark he'd never seen before. And he'd looked at aerials before, but never seen that. And it was a rectangular building with what looked like a semicircular end to it. So an apse. So he thought that, you know, they weren't going to the seaside that year. They were kind of stuck on the farm. So he and his children went to have a look at this crop mark. And being an engineer, he could very precisely survey it in. And they dug down and found a mosaic. And at that point, he got in touch with the local museum, the local archaeologists, and everybody got very excited. You know, I'm, as you know, I spend a lot of time with my kids wandering around looking for historic sites. And that, that doesn't happen to me. So, so no. unfair. I'm so jealous. I know. I know. <sighs> Only today I was looking for an Iron Age hill fort feature in the New Forest. And my kids, we, we had morale issues, Alice. <laughs> we had morale. There were definitely morale issues with my kids. You need chocolate. I take an insufficient amount of chocolate. That's yeah. true. And um, I did think to myself, wouldn't it be cool to find something like that Rutland mosaic? But, yeah. Do you know, what are our kids going to say about us when they grow up? Because I do exactly the same with my children. Mm. I mean, basically, we're always going off, going for a walk looking at another monument and a walk has to have a monument. I can't do a walk without a monument. Obviously. Yeah. Absolutely. No point. The OS, I was just looking at the OS map. I saw a little 
Iron Age sort of feature I hadn't seen before and went to check it out on the ground. Yeah. The kids were less excited than I was. But I mean, that's... Oh. But Alice, like, people say, oh, you don't want to put them off. I'm like, in my family, we did that all the time. We hated it. We all got hypothermic. We lost this before GPS and everything. We all got lost. We sort of desperate snow family adventures and places, terrifying. <laughs> Dad running off into darkness to try and find help. No mobile phone. And there was no concern that it might put us off. It just turned us all into kind of keen yeah. history and outdoor people. You just, Stockholm Syndrome, you give them no choice. It's generational no, exactly. trauma. I think yeah. they quite enjoy it. I mean, certainly they enjoy regaling their friends and relatives with the story of another of mum's walks that was promised to be an hour-long walk and turned into four. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Is the standard. So cool. But yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's such an amazing find. And what's amazing about this particular mosaic is that I think a lot of mosaics are just decorative, a little bit of, you know, sort of fancy interlacing, fancy kind of plaited textures. And this one has got actual images on it and characters in it. And I think, again, you know, when you discover a mosaic that has a picture of a person, you're left thinking, who is this person? Is it some kind of Roman god? You know, who could it be? There's absolutely no shadow of a doubt with this mosaic because you've got three panels and it's like a cartoon strip and it is part of the story of the Trojan War. So cool. It's just amazing. So you've got Hector and Achilles facing each other in chariots. Then the next panel up, Hector is dead and Achilles is dragging his body behind his chariot and it's all very graphic. There are wounds on his body and blood emerging from it. And then in the third and final panel, there is Priam, so Hector's father, the king of Troy, coming out from Troy and pleading with Achilles to give him his son's body back. And there's a man in the middle of the panel with a huge weighing scales. And on one pan, Priam is placing the gold. He's going to have to pay for his son's body in its weight in gold. And then on the other side is Hector's body. And I excavated the face of oh. dead Hector in that panel. So I was very excited to do that. Now I know why History Hit was not allowed to come and film there when it was the announcement was made. I got this. Ah. As I say, I'm living in your, I'm living in your shadow. <laughs> but we weren't allowed to know. And it also, it was completely under wraps. So we had to work very closely, obviously, with the farm and with University of Leicester Archaeological Services, Historic England. The site is now scheduled, but we weren't allowed to say anything about it while we were filming there. So it's been a delight over the last couple of weeks to, well, just the last week, actually, to be able to speak about it. I mean, I tweeted about it in the summer, but all I tweeted was that I was in a field of wheat looking at something very exciting that I wasn't allowed oh, yeah, to tell anyone about. All right, you big tease. <laughs> okay, but what I like about your show and what I like about archaeology generally, I love hanging out with archaeology because you do industrial archaeology. You're, like me, you're very promiscuous in your affection for all sorts of different periods. So talk to me about, I kind of like real railway stuff you were talking about. Yeah, the railway stuff's lovely. I mean, it is what's nice about archaeology, isn't it? And not sticking to one period. And that is what I love about Digging for Britain is that we do range from the Paleolithic all the way almost up to the modern day. But we've got this fantastic story of a very, very early railway, which is a story about industrial archaeology, about the dawning of the industrial age. And it is actually Scotland's first railway. And it's a fantastic story. It's a lovely dig led by a historian, Ed Bethune, who has brought together a team of archaeologists and other historians as well, because it has a strong historical aspect to it. But it's also a big community dig as well. So it's about bringing heritage back into the community and giving that community ownership of their own archaeology and heritage. Anyway, so this wagonway was built in 1722 with wooden tracks 
and it is to take wagons from the coal mine at Tranent down to Cockenzie on the coast where there was effectively a salt factory, so the old Kirk salt pan. And obviously they needed the coal to fire the hearth underneath the salt pan. Yeah, so this wagonway is interesting because I think when you immediately say railway, you just think of steam, but this is pre-steam. Yeah, yeah. I love those pre-steam railways. Yeah. I've been to, yeah, I've seen a few of those around. They're amazing. So it's pre-steam. The wagons are pretty much under the influence of gravity getting down to the salt pans and then dragged back up by horses. So you've got, to begin with, wooden rails with cobbles in between for the horses to walk on to then draw the wagons all the way back up to the coal face. They found a really fantastic sequence of archaeology, so not just bits and pieces. They had fantastic preservation, which I don't think they were anticipating. They got down to the lower layers and they had nice, quite waterlogged ground. So they had preservation of wood and they had three different wooden railways effectively built on top of each other so they can see these phases and then what's wonderful is that they know those phases from the history so they've been digging into the histories they've been finding for instance journals written by local woodworkers who've referred to working on this railway and they can match up the archaeology with the history and they know that for instance the middle phase of renovations was when the whole area was leased to the famous Scottish architect William Adam So he's in the story as well. So it's a great story. They were excavating on the wagonway itself, but also down at the salt pans too. So that's really kind of interesting industrial archaeology. And again, layered so you can see the difference between the 18th, 19th century archaeology. You listen to Dan Snow's History Hit. We're talking to Alice Roberts, the legend. More coming up. Hello, if you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you're going to be fascinated by the new episodes of the History Hit Warfare podcast, from Napoleonic battles and Cold War confrontations to the Normandy landings and 9-11. We reveal new perspectives on how war has shaped and changed our modern world. I'm your host, James Rogers, and each week, twice a week, I team up with fellow historians, military veterans, journalists, and experts from around the world to bring you inspiring leaders. If the crossroads had fallen, then what Napoleon would have achieved is he would have severed the communications between the Allied force and the Prussian force, and there wouldn't have been a Waterloo. It would have been as simple as that. Revolutionary technologies. At the time the weapons were tested, there was this perception of great risk and great fear during the arms race that meant that these countries disregarded these communities' health and well-being to pursue nuclear weapons instead. And war-defining strategies. It's as though the world is incapable of finding a moderate light presence. It always wants to either swamp the place in trillion dollar wars or it wants to have nothing at all to do with it. And in relation to a country like Afghanistan, both approaches are catastrophic. Join us on the History Hit Warfare podcast, where we're on the front line of military history. Join us this month on Gone Medieval from History Hit. I'm Matt Lewis. And I'm Eleanor Yanaga. This April, dive into our special mini-series. With the help of leading experts, we're tracing the foundations of England by exploring the country's most powerful Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. We'll be looking at Northumbria, Mercia and Wessex, as well as the rulers and their councils who helped shape a nation. Make sure to get every episode by listening and following Gone Medieval from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful. Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember, when you use a messaging app, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage, add unlimited photos and videos, and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DANSNOW at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Presumably HS2 has been like anniversaries are to me, that you're just like Mrs. HS2. You're just crawling in the wake of it. As they cut a gigantic trench across the country, you're just there hoovering it all up. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's extraordinary because, of course, you had those two great big cemetery excavations at St. James's in London and then at Park Street in Birmingham, which are going to be the terminals of the first phase of HS2. And those were massive, massive cemeteries, tens of thousands of bodies, say bodies, skeletons at each of those. And when they're analysed, I mean, we've already got a lot of information out of those and I made a series for BBC Two called Britain's Biggest Dig, which it was looking at the archaeology as it emerged out of the ground. But when those skeletal populations are analysed, we'll have a really interesting comparison between life and death in 18th, 19th century Birmingham and London. And then, of course, what you've got in between is this, as you said, a transect through the country. So a massive trench running right through the country. And secretly, that's always what I was most interested in, which sounds odd, maybe, because as you know, I'm a bone specialist. I'm an osteologist. So you might have expected me to be most interested in the cemeteries. But actually, we knew about them. And what I was most interested in was the things that we didn't know about. So... For instance, along the way, we've got a completely unknown Iron Age settlement, which turns into a Roman town, you know, just not on the maps at all. And then one of the really fantastic sites is St Mary's at Stoke Mandeville. And this was a bit of a mystery. You've got this church, which is separated from the main settlement at Stoke Mandeville. And, you know, always had a few buildings around it, but not much really. And there's always been a question about why that church was there, uh, why it was sited there. It's a Norman church, we knew that. It had been knocked over in the 1960s by the Royal Engineers, very careless of them. No, they did it on purpose. So it was falling to ruin. It was knocked down to make it safer. And then a new church had been built in State Mandeville itself. So you had this kind of strange monument, which was a demolished church with some gravestones as part of the debris. 
and it's right in the way of HS2. So that means there's a chance then to actually try and understand that church much better. And I visited it before they started excavating and then went back this year when they got down just below the Norman foundations. And that was really exciting because actually on the day I turned up, one of the archaeologists, Shirley Mihalova, found a silver penny with the head of Ethelred II on it. I mean, it was a genuine moment. <laughs> you know, we were filming something else and the kind of whispers start and it's like somebody's found something really important. And it was the first evidence of Anglo-Saxons. So getting us back into Anglo-Saxon archaeology pre-Norman on the site. And then they carried on excavating that and found that they had a really significant foundation for a building, which may be an Anglo-Saxon tower, not a church. It's just a square-footed foundation. And then they kept on digging and found underneath. I mean, I kind of joked with them, actually. I joked with them on site with Rachel Wood, who was the archaeologist running the site, and Guy Hunt and said, oh, you know, you just keep going. Underneath the Norman church, you've got Anglo-Saxon archaeology. Underneath that, there'll be a Roman temple. Anyway, I was right in some ways. I don't know whether it's a temple, but they found Roman archaeology. So that was incredibly exciting. And they found in a circular ditch around what we think was a tower and then a church. We've got the remains of several cremations, five cremations, but then also some amazing sculptures. And these are very, very rare to find. So there's two busts, heads and shoulders, one of a woman that is just so well preserved. I mean, she's absolutely beautiful and got this amazing piled up plaited hair on the top of her head. So we don't know exactly what it is at the moment, and that will require some more sleuthing in the post-excavation phase, but it could be a mausoleum. It could be that those statues are statues of the people in the pots, in the cremation urns, or it could be some kind of temple, and maybe that female is somebody like Demeter. So that requires a bit more investigation, but it's just amazing to find something like that. I mean, the good thing about what you do is it never runs out, right? Because... How do you break it down? There's the archaeology you've got to do before you build big things or as you're building big things. Yeah, yeah. And so even if academic departments, which we do sadly hear about, are suffering from budget cuts and... Oh, some being shut down, like Sheffield. I mean, that's such a sad loss this year to have lost Sheffield's archaeology. And I think it was one of the leading lights in Britain and internationally recognised. It's very sad. I mean, obviously that's a tragedy. But the news for archaeology is that there are other kinds of archaeology that can continue. There are. Most of archaeology that happens in Britain is professional archaeology, commercial, I don't mean the academics aren't professional, but commercial archaeology linked to big construction projects or small construction projects. That is most of the archaeology that happens. And so we need archaeologists. We need professional archaeologists. If all our university departments close, then we're really stuck because it means we're not actually creating the next generation of archaeologists to come through and do that work. But yes, as you say, so we have that construction-led archaeology But we also then have university archaeology, which is often focused on particular research questions and also training digs for students as well. That's been one of the really lovely things this year, actually, about getting out and filming Digging for Britain. It's been lovely for me in many ways. I mean, getting out this year and travelling around the country was fantastic. And previously on Digging for Britain, we were on BBC Four for quite some time with a tiny, tiny budget. So I didn't actually get to visit the sites. I just met with the archaeologists afterwards and they showed me some of the finds that they'd discovered this year i have been out on tour i've been touring around the country visiting all the sites and going to these training digs has been really exciting because we obviously had a year in 2020 where there weren't really any university digs 
there were certainly no students on training digs. So this year we had the first years from this year and the second years who'd missed out on their training digs. And they were so excited to be out digging on site. It was just brilliant. So it's been a real joy, you know, getting out and seeing all those amazing sites, but also meeting these young archaeologists as well. What is happening next year that you can tell us about? I think there'll be some sites that continue from this year. So I'm really hoping that there's more work done at Rutland. That's all being discussed at the moment. That site has obviously become a scheduled monument, but it may be that that then turns into a training dig for not only the University of Leicester, but hopefully for Historic England as well, for some of their apprenticeship programmes that they're now creating to create more professional archaeologists. And I will be desperate to go <laughs> go and see what else you find because it's not just the mosaic. There's a whole villa complex there. I always think of these as being kind of big country estates. They're the houses of big country estates. They've got a lot around them. They would have had stables. They would have had places where animals are being butchered. They would have had various forms of industry on site as well. And we can see from the work that's already been done that it's much more than just that villa with the mosaic. So that's the kind of the star find, but there's loads to find there, I think. And with modern archaeology, we can also see how these villas develop over time. And then what happens, crucially, what happens to them at the end? You know, what happens when we get to the end of the Roman period? Are they still being used as we get into the fifth century? It's such an interesting question. Ooh, Hmm. continuity or change. I love all that fifth century stuff. Yeah, well, I look forward to learning all about that. Do they have to cover them back up? Like, how does that all work? Because they're these big sprawling villa sites. So, yes, it's all covered back up. And it was interesting going to see it this year because obviously it had been covered up in the interim. It had been found and partially exposed, a small part of it exposed in 2020, and then covered up. And following the Historic England guidelines, what they've done is put very fine sand over it, about 10 centimetres of fine sand, then a membrane, then the earth, then a field of wheat was planted on top of it. It was actually quite frustrating the day that I turned up on site this year where I was expecting the wheat to have just been cut and the trenches to just be opened and the combine harvester had broken down and was sitting there in the corner of the field <laughs> with a broken axle. But eventually they fixed it and they reaped the wheat and started opening up the trenches. So to begin with, we were able to just peel back the membrane, so dig the earth away peel back the membrane and then brush the sand off the mosaic, which kept it absolutely beautifully since last year. And then obviously start expanding that area of excavation. So this year, the same thing would have happened. So it will have been covered up with sand, covered up with a membrane and just kept safely underground. That's amazing. And so they won't lift that mosaic? They won't stick it in the museum somewhere? There'll be discussions about what to do with it ultimately. I mean, I tend to feel that leaving it there is probably the best thing Mm. rather than lifting it. I mean, it's a big mosaic you'd need quite a big museum with a lot of space to to move it to i suppose the alternative is you have a museum on the site i think jim who found it would rather like to have a museum on the site i'm not sure what his father thinks about that i think he'd rather have the wheat (laughs) bit fishbourne palace oh i see i have the wheat well you know let's hope uh there's going to be some changes to single farm payments coming out of brexit so who knows maybe a museum will be more economical when is this amazing series on that we can watch on the telly it's on in the first two weeks of january so it's going to be across two weeks in the first two weeks of january so just keep an eye out for it on bbc2 on bbc2 yeah and i must also um, mention my book 
well, ancestors, which is doing really well, totally. flying off the shelves. And it has been on the podcast before, and lots of listeners have bought oh, it. Oh, thank podcast. you, Dan. So go and get the paperback now, everyone, right? It's out in paperback, is it? Yeah, the paperback is out in the new year, and then I have literally just finished writing the follow-up, and I have sent have. the draft, the manuscript, to my editor today. Can you tell us what it's about? I can tell you a little bit about it. So it's sticks with the theme of burial archaeology and it takes us into the historical era. Ah, right. So we've got some fantastic Roman burials, odd Roman burials that are beheaded and then the skulls put back in the graves in strange places. An interesting story of a villa which featured on Digging for Britain actually in the very first series back in 2010. We knew that there were many, many child burials on site and I noticed that on one of the bones that there were cut marks so that turned into a really interesting bit of research. I love it when that happens, when you get research on television, then turns into research again. And we looked at that cut marked femur of a baby and eventually decided that it probably was evidence of Roman obstetrics. So an operation maybe to save a mother's life in an obstructed labour. And then it goes through and I look at a bit of Anglo-Saxon archaeology and Vikings as well. I dug for many summers on a site in Anglesey which I think is still the only Viking-style site, definitely in Wales. Plenty of Viking archaeology and very curious burials, which are not even really burials, bodies that have obviously been thrown into a ditch around the settlement and looking at what we can tell about those bodies from isotope analysis and then eventually we'll have some ancient DNA results as well. Exciting. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that one even more than the first one. That's so cool. And Dan, I'm on tour. So I did a little tour um, in November, which sold out. So I'm back on tour in March and April and all the details are on my website. So if people want to come and hear me talk about ancestors and burials and the deep history of Britain in the landscape, come along and see me in March and April. Do it, folks. Go and see Alice Roberts. She's brilliant. There's no one better live. Thank you very much for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. Thanks, folks. You've reached the end of another episode. Hope you're still awake. Appreciate your loyalty. Sticking through to the end. If you fancied doing us a favour here at History Hit, I would be incredibly grateful if you would go and wherever you get these pods, give it a little rating, five stars or its equivalent. A review would be great. Please head over there and do that. It really does make a huge difference. It's one of the funny things the algorithm loves to take into account. So please head over there and do that. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.